Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice today in your love, in your strength and your kindness that you have lavished upon us. Lord, you, as we just sang, we can come to you, we can run to you anytime, and we want to do that right now. You know our world, you know the, the hardships we face, you know the, the pain that people have, the fear we have. Lord, would you take that all right now as we run to you? Be our shield, be our strength, be our guide. And as we look at your word, we pray that you would fill us up with your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you guys. Got that new song in about one week flat. That was great. <laughs> Singing that with you. Is there a secret, a key, if you will, to living the Christian life? Is there one thing that would help you live your faith out better than anything else? Well, it might sound like a stretch to say that there is one key above all others. There just might be. But it's not a secret. And God can indeed bless each one of us with it as we pray for it. It's something that I believe that, God, that can help us live our lives with more confident faith, more abiding joy, more faithful love, and more courageous endurance. Like if you had only one request that you could make of God and no other prayer request, it should arguably, arguably be this prayer, which we, I believe, should make passionately and persistently. Paul prays for it, for his fellow believers in Ephesians 3, which I'll invite you to turn to now to see it with me. Ephesians chapter 3. After a few weeks off for Christmas and various other happenings, we're resuming our time in Ephesians today with what I would call a jaw-dropping passage. I hate that this series was broken up by over a month, though, because this passage really is a direct continuation of the flow of thought in Ephesians. To remind you or to, to catch you up to where we're at today, Ephesians 1 to 3 have really been summarizing the gospel for us, or the good news of Jesus for us, talking about who we are without Christ, and then who believers are now in Jesus Christ. Chapter 2 started talking about the church, and what Christ has made, how Christ has made us one, and how God's plans for his people, for the church, are grand and glorious. Chapter 3 starts with Paul, the author, saying this in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, but then he gets distracted. <laughs> and he goes on this parenthetical tangent about his ministry and how this amazing mystery of Christ has now been revealed to us. In all this, he's encouraging people to, to not pity him or feel sorry or lose heart when he suffered for Jesus. And in verse 14, 
he finally gets back to his original thought that he began in verse 1. For this reason. He again, for this reason. So in light of all that God has done for us, in light of all he'll do in us and for us, in light of all he's doing in us, when I think of all of this, I bow my knees and pray. Look at it. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And believe it or not, some of the most effective ministry for other people happens before God's throne. After all, God is the one who can most do something about what we most need or want. A couple quick things to notice about Paul's prayer here, though. First is his physical posture. See, bowing was not actually the ordinary posture of prayer in that day. Standing was. Kneeling was reserved for moments of greatest emotion or extra special occasions. And Paul feels this is worthy of that. He, as he ponders what God was doing with his people, his knees buckle in awe, falls before God. And his physical posture reflects the spiritual posture of his heart. Secondly, notice whom Paul is praying to because he specifies, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now in chapter 2, we heard Paul say that through Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father where we once had no right to tread before God. But now, we can enter into his very presence before the Father. Much like the Lord's Prayer starts with, Our Father in heaven, this prayer reminds us that the one we pray to is not only our source of life, but also the one who loves us, and has brought us into his own family. A good father is always lovingly inclined toward his kids' best interests. And God is the best father. The, the perfect model of fatherhood. As he says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. In other words, everyone in existence owes their ultimate origin to him. And every family we know is a dim reflection of God's family. He's the paradigm. Brian Chappell tells the story of something his son witnessed on a mission strip that reflects a lot of these truths about praying to the Father where his son visited, the church tradition was for men and women to sit separately in worship. So men on one side, women on the other, with a partition in the middle. And, but during this service that he was in, a little girl decided to take a flower that she had picked over to her dad. And so she knelt down and crawled, hesitantly, timidly, over to him. But there was no hesitation at all from her father. When he saw her, he, he swept her up into his lap, gave her a big hug. Now, she was feeling confident at this point, so then she 
holds up her flower to him. And he bends his face down, sticks his nose right in the flower, breathes it in as if it's the most beautiful smell in the world. Now, in that culture, the little girl was technically wrong to do what she did. And yet, she offered her gift confidently because the recipient was her father. As Chapel describes it, he says, the sweetness of his heart drew her despite her transgressions. In the same way, we rightly come crawling to our Heavenly Father, humbled by our transgressions, because even our best works contain too much of the mix of our humanity to stand before a holy God. Yet even as we kneel before him, we seek his favor with confidence because he is our Father. Do you realize that this is what we get to do every time we approach our Heavenly Father in prayer? Get to crawl to him and have him sweep us up. And what should we be praying to him for? What does Paul pray for here? Now, it's actually a pretty convoluted request, at least as it comes through to us in English. But it's really one major prayer request, which I'll try to simplify for you, just with a couple points. So, how I put it is, we ought to pray for God's provision, power, and presence to fill our lives. All right, pray for God's provision, power, and presence to fill our lives. You could say that's three requests. I still think it's one. <laughs> Praying that God, period, would fill our lives. As he says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, so there's the request there for God's provision, that he may grant you. He's something, there's something that to be granted to us as a gift of God's grace, something given, not earned, not entitled to, but notice also that, that Paul asked that this gift would be granted according to the riches of his glory. Not from the riches of his glory, but according to the riches of his glory. We saw this elsewhere in Ephesians as well. But God's giving corresponds to his inexhaustible wealth of glory. Like, if he had a million dollars, it's not like he'd give us a few bucks out of that. No, he gives us the full million. In response to our prayers, God gives lavishly on scale to his wealth in the style of his glory as only he can do. Next, we see his power, which is really the provision we most need that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now think back to a time you were sick in bed. Right? Lethargic, feverish, achy, fatigued. You might be at home and you're there right now. Half the provinces. But at that time... What do you need in order to get you back to taking in all that life has to offer for you? Your, your body needs to regain health, right? It really needs 
strengthening. And in the same way, our inner beings, our souls, need to be strengthened in order for us to experience all the, the blessings that God offers us in life. Like so many people make goals for their physical bodies, especially around this time of year. But if we're going to be able to, to face the hardships, the challenges in life, and thrive through them, we need to be strengthened on the inside, which is what this says the Holy Spirit does for us. Also, when we think about God's incredible, immense plans for his people, like here in Ephesians, it makes us see our infirmities, our inadequacies, like we're not equal to the task. And so Paul prays for power, that God's power, not our own, would fill our inner beings. And God's certainly able to empower and strengthen us for whatever we face today. So we need his provision, his power, and finally his presence. This is why we need strength. And really, all these requests are, are built on each other. Look how he says it. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Excuse me. Notice there that, that God's spirit is already living in believers, but then the Spirit helps us experience the presence of Christ himself inside us. The Spirit strengthens our faith, and our faith helps us know Christ is with us. Now, this is likely the verse that inspired the idea of asking Jesus into your heart. And misguided as that may be as a call to salvation there is truly a sense in which as we trust in Jesus, he comes to live in us by his Spirit. But why do we pray for this if this is already a reality? Well, his dwelling here in us refers to taking up a permanent indwelling rather than a one-time thing. See, your heart, is not meant to be a vacation rental or hotel room for Jesus. He means to take the keys, the deed, make your heart into his forever home. And the more, that we, the more we are aware of his constant presence, the more it helps us center our lives on him. Like brothers and sisters, I hope that, that you believe and you know that Christ is with you today and that that is transforming you, really from the inside out. Kent Hughes marvels, this is a beautiful upward spiral. Our capacity is strengthened according to his riches so that we can appropriate more of his life. His life thus fulfills us and thus enlarges our capacity so we can hold more of him within. And so it goes onward and upward with Christ. Halfway through verse 17, you'll see a dash that offsets the second half of Paul's prayer. There's a, a turning point here. And we get to the heart of what Paul is after 
in this prayer. Essentially, if the first half, verses 14 to 17, is reality in our lives, then the second half, verses 17 to 19, will be the result. Okay? He prays that God's provision, power, and presence would fill us so that this happens. Okay? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We'll get to, to pick the meat off these bones for the rest of this message. But essentially, as Christ dwells in us through faith, we become rooted and grounded in love. I complete the big idea for us this way. So we pray for God's provision, power, and presence to fill our lives so that we understand and experience Christ's limitless love. We should pray for God to fill us so that we can understand and experience Christ's limitless love. Praise that you, being rooted and grounded in love. Those images relate to trees, right? The, the shallower a tree's roots, the less stable and healthy it will be. A well-rooted tree sends its roots deep and wide into the earth, which helps it suck in all the, the vast amount of water and nutrients it needs, as well as it keeps it stable and grounded to endure storms or other dangers. For Christians, we're not rooted in soil. We're rooted and grounded in love to varying depths. The love of God is what both nourishes us in life and stabilizes us when storms hit. You may have experienced this to be true in your life. I hope you have it. It nourishes us and it stabilizes us. Here in Ephesians 3, though, the goal isn't just to keep us strong and secure in God's love. It's to help us understand the greatness of God's love. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend what, with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses Knowledge. So verse 18 again stresses that we need more strength, essentially ability or capacity. So this is not something that we naturally have the ability to comprehend. It's beyond us. What's beyond us? The limits of God's love, or rather the limitlessness of his love. The word comprehend there is also translated as understand or grasp, and it, it means to get a really secure hold on something. You could say to capture it. Grasping the love of Christ is to have it make really a permanent impression on us, and such a permanent impression that it affects our behavior, our actions, our affections, our attitudes. 
that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Have you ever prayed this? For yourself? For your loved ones or friends? I hope that after today, we will all be praying this prayer request more and more because this is the key I hinted at earlier to living an abundant Christian life, believe it or not. The way that the more that we grasp the love of Christ, the more our lives will be transformed. Note as well that, that Paul prays that we'll do this in community with all the saints. The best way to grow in our comprehension of God's love is alongside other believers. In worship, in groups, in prayer, in serving, in observing his love in one another. Like there's, there's something about the love of Christ that we can only understand together with others as his people. Now, the Ephesian believers were doubtlessly facing major challenges in living out their faith, just like Christians of all times. But they were a distinct minority in an urban center of a powerful and wicked empire. Not so unlike where we find ourselves today. Wealth was abundant. Sex was rampant. Idolatry was dominant. They would have faced temptations to compromise their faith on a daily basis. They would have felt pressure to conform, and if they didn't conform, then persecution. And yet, Paul's one request for them was not for their protection, deliverance, safety, or health. He didn't pray for them to, to better resist temptation or even to, to love God better themselves, though those are all fine and, and good things to pray for. In fact, if you go through all Paul's prayers in the New Testament, and you look at them, he prayed a lot, he never once prays for changes in believers' physical circumstances. Isn't that crazy? Here he prays for, for strength to stand up to Rome and fight for their rights. No? <laughs> no. He prays for inner strength to comprehend the love of God. Huh. He prays that we believers would better understand what we already have. Why? I really like the way Tim Keller explains this. He says that Paul sees this fuller knowledge of God as a more critical thing to receive than a change of circumstances. 
Without this powerful sense of God's reality, good circumstances can lead to overconfidence and spiritual indifference. Who needs God, our hearts would conclude, when matters seem to be so in hand? Then again, without this enlightened heart, bad circumstances can lead to discouragement and despair because the love of God would be an abstraction rather than the infinitely consoling presence it should be. Therefore, knowing God better is what we must have above all if we are to face life in any circumstances. And that illustrates this truth further by telling us to imagine a, a young boy playing with a toy truck. Then the, the truck breaks, and he runs to his parents, crying for them to fix it. What if his dad then told him, Son, a distant relative you've never met has just died and left you $100 million. Would that comfort the boy? No. Right? He'll just cry louder until someone fixes the truck. Why? Because he doesn't have the mental capacity to understand what his true situation is now. And he doesn't understand that he could go buy a million trucks. <laughs> but Keller concludes, in the same way, Christians lack the spiritual capacity to realize all we have in Jesus. We lack this capacity. And then we so often base our happiness on our circumstances instead of recognizing all that we've been given through Christ. Like, have you realized that the root of many of the issues, the personal struggles that you have on a daily basis can be traced back to not truly grasping God's love for you? It often is the case. His love doesn't just save us, but is also the means by which we grow and are sanctified. And we're rooted and grounded in him. We grow to maturity. So, are you gradually in your life, are you coming to understand how unthinkably great God's love is? is. Like Paul says that at the end of the day, it's actually incomprehensible. Like we can't fully, like we can increasingly understand it more and more, forever further up and further in. But we will never fully grasp the extravagant dimensions of infinite love. This is what he's getting at by talking about the, the breadth and length and height and depth of it all. Other translations say, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And these pictures of, of width, length, height, and depth are, are really just a poetic way to say God's love is infinite. It's beyond measure. It's limitless in all directions, all dimensions. Now, that hasn't stopped people from trying to come up with creative ideas of what each of these mean. And I'll, I'll share some of them with you, paraphrasing a number of them, as I do think they engage our imaginations in a helpful way. They just, they give us a, a glimmer, a, a sliver of, of the truth of how great his love is. So first, what is the breadth of Christ's love? Or you could say, how wide is his love? It's wide enough to include all nations and peoples in his plan of redemption. 
It's as wide as the world, embracing everyone who will call upon his name. No matter how far you have strayed, no matter how bad you have been, his love is wide enough for you to enfold you in his arms. Psalm 103 sings that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's how wide his love is. It's as wide as the hands of Christ stretched out and nailed to a cross. How long is the love of Christ? What is its length? Well, his love is as long as time, and history, eternity even. It has no beginning, has no end. Ephesians 1 told us that God loved us before the foundation of the world and that he'll love us until we acquire possession of our eternal inheritance. Which further means that his love is not, it cannot be, based on how well you behave or perform. It goes way beyond that. And we are saved by grace, not by works, remember. One author says, we have a chronic insistence that divine love must have an end point, a limit, a point at which it finally runs dry. Nope. Has no expiration date. No end date. Charles Spurgeon encourages us, it is so long that your old age cannot wear it out, so long your continual tribulation cannot exhaust it, your successive temptations shall not drain it dry. Like eternity itself, it knows no bounds. 1 Corinthians 13 famously says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never ends. All right, how about its height? How high is the love of God in Christ? Well, how high are the stars? Because Psalm 103 again sings that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. His, his love is high enough to raise sinners like us into heavenly glory. Jesus prayed in John 17 that, that we would come to share in his very own glory one day. The glory that he's always had, giving him inexpressible joy for all eternity. Can you imagine that? That, that his love is leading us that high. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. His love is also so high as to rouse praises from the highest angels in heaven. And it's easily higher than any mountainous challenges we face now. Finally, let's plumb its depths, or even just the shallows. 
right? How deep is the love of Christ? It goes so deep as to cancel the claims of hell on our souls. It's deep enough that Christ descended from the glories of heaven all the way down to an inhumane, agonizing, hellish death on a cross for our sake. And we fully deserve hell, and yet his love reaches all the way down to us. And he went voluntarily into the deepest pit anyone has ever gone into. Really, we could never know how limitless God's love is without looking at Jesus. He went to the greatest lengths, the greatest depths, to show us his love. Based on this passage, Dane Ortland concludes that God's love is as boundless as God himself. This is why Paul speaks of divine love as a reality that stretches to an immeasurable breadth and length and height and width and depth. The only thing in the universe as immeasurable as that is God himself. So God's love is as expansive as God himself. Now when we start to, to grasp the magnitude of this love, it doesn't just warm our hearts a bit doesn't just give us a little bit of comfort and joy. You know, comprehension, however limited, of Christ's incomprehensible, limitless love changes us. Like when we start to understand this kind of love, it's power. It's, it's power to, to forsake sin like you've never forsaken it before. It's power to find peace in the midst of whatever chaos or anxiety or situation that you find yourself in. It's power to fall deeply in love with Jesus, with your whole heart and mind and soul and strength. It's power to love others the way that he's loved you. Power to forgive. Power to pursue holiness. Power that can change your life. If we're lacking those things, I'll tell you, it's usually because we're lacking understanding of his love. So let's pray for these things together, for ourselves and for one another. And we're not just talking about some mental knowledge either. This is talking about relational and experiential knowledge. Look again at verse 19 where it says, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Kids will sometimes try to describe their love for others with the highest numbers or furthest distances they can. Like think of, I love you to the moon. Or I love you 3,000. Like, like this, there's always a limit to us describing God's love because we have finite limits to our comprehension. But he doesn't have limits. He's beyond that. Paul says that this love that we can know is a love that surpasses knowledge. How is that possible? 
You can't know something beyond knowledge. Well, no, you can't with your head. But you can experience it in your heart. You know a little bit. As I heard someone else put it, it's like holding on to a leaf from a massive tree. Like you're really holding that leaf, you know it, but you can't hold the tree. It's fairly easy for us to hear about what Jesus has done for us and for us to just nod our heads and to say, yeah, I know he did all that. I believe that. But it's another thing to truly know the love of Christ for yourself, to experience it as a daily reality, fully appropriating it and using it, to know it in the depths of your soul, to be able to sing, yes, Jesus loves me. Me. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Like that means we could exhaust the limits of human description and language only to conclude we haven't even begun to describe it. So, have you experienced this love of Christ in your soul? Are you experiencing it? Let's pray for this. And let's admit that even our experiencing his love cannot encapsulate it. It's holding on to that leaf. Now, you might be here today, and as you heard all this, you'd have to admit that you've never known Christ's love for yourself. Maybe he's always been just a, a storybook character to you, or a crucifix on a wall, or a nice moral example from history. But you've never understood just how much Jesus loves you, personally. If that's you today, I, I pray that you would begin to see, for the first time even, his love, his love that would take your place before God's judgment. His love that would die in your place just so, so you could become a beloved child of God, be welcomed into his family. Embrace no matter what you've done. And then I hope that you will reach out and accept that love today. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Life. So if you want this, you must only believe that Jesus is the Lord in your heart, that he died and rose again. Turn away from your sinful lifestyle of living for yourself. Turn to him in faith. And you can do it in your heart, even in this moment, even if you're at home on your own, you can do it. And please let us know, though, if you do. But don't let your pride get in the way thinking that you'll take care of yourself. Don't let your shame get in the way, thinking that you couldn't be loved. And don't let your other loves get in the way. 
they'll disappoint you in the end. But Jesus' love is the only love that will never fail you and never end. So come to Jesus. Let him begin to show you just how wide and long and high and deep his love is. Like we've only scratched the surface today. We'll spend the rest of our lives and then on into eternity going deeper into it. And the end of verse 19 brings us full circle. As Paul tells us what will happen if and when God answers our prayer from these verses. It says, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So follow the thought. We saw the need to, to pray for God's provision and power and presence to fill our lives, which would lead to understanding and experiencing the love of Christ, his limitless love, which in turn then fills us up with the fullness of God. So it all plays together toward this one goal, God filling us with himself. Think of how the love of Christ fills us up with these things, how it fills us up with God's provision and power and presence. The love of Christ shows us just how much God has already provided for us and how inclined he is to continue to provide for all our needs. As Romans 8 tells us, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all? all things. So shows us his provision. The love of Christ also demonstrates the power of God that he's exercised on our behalf and that he's still working in us to this day. As it was described earlier in Ephesians, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then finally the love of Christ reveals the presence of God that now dwells with and in us. He became Emmanuel, God with us, in total solidarity with us. And he, even as he left earth, he promised, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And he didn't, he hasn't left us to do life on our own, and he never will. And so, therefore, if we have God's very own provision, power, and presence granted to us, what more could we ever want or need? Oh, yes. We still long for love. And we have that too. Beyond measure. Overflowing incomprehensible love. I wonder, how is it possible that we, small, finite, limited us, how, how could we be filled with God's infinite fullness? Have you ever stood on a beach, an ocean, or a great lake, a bucket, maybe a cup or a jar. As a wave comes in, you hold out your container, and it instantly fills up with water. And when that happens, your finite bucket 
is filled with what you could say is the fullness of that body of water. It's from that, while at the same time, you can never put the whole fullness of the ocean in a cup. That's what it's like with us. We're the bucket getting filled up with the ocean, yet never fully capturing or containing its vastness in ourselves. We need each other to experience this better. We can do that in community. And even more so, though, we'll need eternity to keep filling ourselves up with the Lord. Now, you might say at the end here, is this really a secret to living the Christian life here and now? I believe it is. The love of Christ is the greatest power we have for spiritual change and maturity. It really is. The more we grasp it, the more we will become like Christ. The more we know it, the more we will know God and be filled with his fullness. And the greater his love appears to us, the greater our own love will then be for him. So, what are you doing to grow in this heart knowledge of his love? What are we doing? It doesn't just happen. And yet, we're so dependent on his spirit's power for this. So really, you could come up with all kinds of good ideas of what you can do to grow in his love, and yet the most important thing of all for us to do is pray. Pray for it. So let me give you a minute to do just that. All right? Open your Bible, if you haven't already, to this passage Read over these words in Ephesians 3. Pray them for yourself. And then read through them again and pray them for someone else in your life. Maybe a family member, a friend. But then maybe later today, let them know that you prayed this for them. And then I'll close this off by praying this prayer for all of us as a church. Really, if God answers this prayer, we'll have everything we ever need. And sneak peek for next week, just in case you doubt him. He is able to do far more abundantly than we can imagine. So let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we pray that according to the riches of your glory, that you would grant us, me, my brothers and sisters here, even those who don't know you yet here, pray that you would grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner beings so that your son, Christ, may dwell in our hearts through faith. Pray that we, then being rooted and grounded in love, would have strength to comprehend with all the saints, with each other, what is the breadth and length and height and depth of your love. I pray that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all your fullness. Lord, we thank you for this prayer. It gives us a model of what to pray. We need this. We need you. So we pray that you would fill us today. In Jesus' name, amen.